I want to tell you a story. In the beginning was light. And this light illuminated the human heart. It was passed from generation to generation, restoring hope to broken people. For centuries, the light was kept in a singular place, but it's since been dispersed in what we now call the church. But no matter how bright this light was, there's always been opposition. A tendency to lose focus and fall asleep to the needs of those for whom the light was intended. From the beginning, the church was designed to be released, reviving cities and making them better. Revivals from Ephesus to Corinth, LA to New York, the church has been God's design to restore hope to broken places. These revivals, or spiritually significant moments in time, are often called Great Awakenings. In America, the first Great Awakening was in the 1700s, the second was in the early 1800s, and the third at the end of the 1800s. The most recent Great Awakening, or Jesus Movement as it was called, was in the 1970s. There have always been seasons of awakening, times to refocus, renew, and return to the calling God has for His church. In 1834, in the end of the Second Awakening, a group of men and women gathered in the Traders Point area of Indianapolis with the desire to know God's Word and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to hurting people. It was this vision that has fueled the mission of Traders Point for 189 years. Throughout its history, Traders Point has kept its focus. It's been about releasing the church reviving the city and restoring hope to the world. As I think about the future of Traders Point and God's plan for our church, I've been reflecting on my own life, the seasons when I've been awake and the seasons when I've been asleep. I'm 18 years old. I'm a freshman in Bible college. I've never had a preaching class. And they said, would you go preach at this church? I drive to this little church in Northwest Arkansas, tiny little town. Literally, I think there were 35 people there that day. And I was scared out of my mind. I was there by myself, I was trembling. And they introduced me, I come up, and I just like looked down and read the sermon. I think I got done in like eight minutes flat. Afterwards, there were three or four elders that actually asked to speak to me in the Sunday school room in the hallway. They pulled me into the room and they just said, is that the first time you've ever preached? And I said, yes, and they said, we thought so. And then they just said, but uh, we just wanted you to know, like before you head back to campus, like we really feel like God's called you to do this. And there's like an anointing on your life for this. And we just wanna pray over you before you go back to campus. To me, it was as if God was speaking directly to me through them. And it like jarred me, like it woke me, like this was real. And I remember walking back to my car. It was like a beautiful sunny Sunday afternoon. I'm sitting in my car in the quiet before I started up. And I just said, God, okay, you got my attention. Like I'm awake. That was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. When can I do it again? And it was just a kind of a rocket ship ride at that point. Seasons of just God, what is it that you want us to see? Wake us up to what you're doing. And as we were going multi-site, and as we were uh, reaching more and more people, developing leaders, we're riding just this massive wave of momentum as God was just doing all these incredible things. And it was as if like the wave just hit a wall. And it just kind of felt like everything just, you know, stopped. I remember in the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, arriving at the Northwest campus, shooting like an update video that would go out to our church. I remember getting done, it was raining that day, got into my truck in the parking lot at Northwest and the rain's like hitting the windshield and I just sat there really quietly and it just kind of brought me back to that place when I was sitting in the car after I'd preached my first sermon all those years ago. And it wasn't sunny outside, it was rainy and it was cloudy. And I just remember saying, God, I can't hear you. It just felt very quiet. 
Just as when things were at their darkest, that's when we began to see some inklings of light. I'm a student of history, and as you look back through these historical moments, oftentimes you'll find these massive shifts in a short amount of time where things radically change in history and it alters the future. And I think that we're living in one of those right now. As we were coming down to the final days of the pandemic, I think that more and more of us as a leadership, we began to just ask this question of, you know, God, what is it that you're wanting us to do? What is it that you're wanting us to see? And in the process of those questions and those prayers, he led us to a couple of passages of scripture. Uh, one is found in Ephesians 5, and one is found in Revelation 3. And they say very similar things, but the language of waking up is in it. And so we felt as if God was saying to us through his scriptures that now is the time for you to be awakened to this new thing that I want you to do. We don't wanna be asleep at the wheel. We wanna seize the very moment. So we need to be awakened to what it is that God desires to say, do, and speak in and through us. Now is the time to go to put action to our faith. There's three different aspects to this vision of Awaken. The first is what we're calling Release the Church. Now this would include all of our ongoing ministry as a church. We wanna to continue to enhance everything we do. Specifically, we're looking to increase our investment into the next generation with a focus on improving our content to teach our kids and youth who God is and improve their biblical literacy. This also includes upping our efforts to equip parents in discipling their kids at home. We've also recognized the need to enhance environments for youth at all of our campuses, so part of Awaken will enable us to do that. The last thing we can improve in releasing the church is a digital engagement pathway. We wanna leverage digital tools to better disciple our people and this will enable us to do that. The next part of the Awakened Vision is called Revive This City. You know, we love our city because God has a heart for the city. When we see the New Testament church, uh, those churches were started in cities, Corinth, and Philippi, and Ephesus. And God has planted us in the city of Indianapolis, and we love our city. We love everything about our city, and we wanna reach people all over our city. We're excited to get Midtown and Fishers launched in their permanent locations, and this part of the vision will help us do that. As we launch campuses seven and eight, we're looking towards the future as to where God would have us go and to the difference he would have us make. You know, we've continued to see God bless our multi-site philosophy of ministry as a way to go where our people are so that they can be on mission where they live. Every time we launch a campus, we deepen the bench. We reach more people. We see more people develop in their discipleship. And that's exciting to see. Part of reviving the city will also include refreshing our Northwest campus, as it's the sending and resource location for all of our Traders Point locations around the city and all of our global efforts as we reach people online. The last part of this vision initiative we're calling Restore Hope to the World. And this would just include everything that we do in local and global missions, with a focus of resourcing our organizations that care for vulnerable children locally and globally. You know, one of the things that we just believe moves the needle on bringing hope to hurting places is launching brand new churches. And so we will come alongside of a couple of different organizations to start what we're calling flagship churches. These are influential churches in urban centers throughout the country that are making a massive difference by reaching people nobody else is reaching. And we wanna be a part of that. As our foster and adoption ministry continues to grow and impact our city, we need to upgrade our resource center as well as pour additional resources into this ministry. Right now, already our fan ministry is making a massive difference in our state. 25% of our state's care communities come out of our church. That's phenomenal. And so we just wanna to continue to see what God's gonna to do to bring hope to families and especially vulnerable children through our foster and adoption ministry. As a church, it's time for each one of us to wake up to all God wants to do in us and through us. Now is the time to put our faith into action. Wow.
You know, our team uh, sent me the rough cut of that video a couple of weeks ago. And as I watched it for the first time, it just sort of like took my breath away. It kind of stirred some emotions in me that I wasn't expecting. And I hope that that stirred some things in you as well. And today is really the, the culmination of a journey that we've been on for the last year and a half or so as we just kind of came out of some of the challenges that entailed, you know, 2020 and 2021. And if you can think back to those years, whatever it was that you were navigating, whether that was just your own personal life or maybe the life of your family or maybe you led a team at work, what was really challenging about navigating a crisis of that magnitude is that we didn't have a clear line of sight. We didn't have the ability to see through the crisis and it made it uh, particularly uh, difficult to do so. That's why it's uh, one of my favorite uh, definitions of leadership is just simply this, providing clarity in the midst of uncertainty. So leadership doesn't mean like you're the smartest person in the room. It doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't even mean that you're certain. It means you need to be clear. And so through the, and, and clarity requires vision. And so we just begin to ask God, God, would you just please give us a vision for the immediate and long-term future of our church coming out of those challenging years? And much of that, uh, those prayers, um, resulted in this book that I want you to get your hands on. So our team's gonna come down across all of our campuses and pass out one of these awakened books to you. And uh, as you are receiving this, basically what this book is, is a more detailed version of everything that you just saw in that video. And so I wanna ask you to get your hands on this. And I know if you're anything at all like me, you're just gonna immediately start flipping through it and reading it. And I'm gonna ask you not to, all right? You can you do, do that a little bit later today. What I wanna do is I wanna walk you through the book together before we get going. And as you're waiting on getting a book, uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 says this. It says, without vision, the people perish. Like we perish without a picture of the future in which where we are going. And so we just began to pray to God about a year and a half ago, that verse. And we we're like, God, would you give us a vision? We don't want to get too far in front of you. We don't want to fall too far behind you. God, we don't want to speculate what you might do. We do want to anticipate what you could do so that we can be fully alert to it and we can participate with you in it. And a lot of those prayers God answered and they are found. It's our best effort to try to articulate this in the pages of this book. Now, once again, without, you know, you can read through it later today. Don't miss what I'm going to say, but let me go ahead and just kind of tell you what's in it. The first is what I would call the vision pages. So a much more detailed kind of version of everything you saw in the video. And it's the initiatives of Awaken, the financial resources attached to them, and some helpful tools for our own generosity journey as we walk through this. Now, I want to be very, very upfront with this and tell you that we have two goals for the Awaken initiative. And the first goal I'm going to spend the majority of my time on today uh, is just that God would awaken us, that God would speak to each one of us individually right where we're at. But the secondary goal is that God would make a massive difference through us, which requires financial resources. And the number that you'll see in the book is for the next two years, 84 million. Now, that's a huge number. And that's not, I just want us to let that sink in for a minute, not move past it too quickly. It is not lost on me how huge of a responsibility and how awesome of an opportunity it is to steward those kinds of resources. And it's one that we take very, very seriously. And we want to handle it with the utmost of integrity, character, and humility as we handle God's resources during this time. Now, that seems like a huge number, and it is. But I want to provide a little bit of perspective. That is for the next two years. So between now and the end of 2025, it's a two-year initiative. And it includes our regular normal giving. So when we look back at the past, the last two years, our church gave $50 million. And so I just want a little bit of context. When I got here in 2007, our church's annual budget was just a little under 3 million. So what that tells me is that as we've trusted God with what he's given to us, he's entrusted us with more. And so now what we're asking is another step of faith to go into this next season. The second thing that you'll find in the book after the, the vision pages is you'll see a second a place to, to take notes. And uh, I really want to encourage you uh, to be here all six weeks of the series, all six weeks in a row. <laughs> I know, 
That's so crazy. Right, I know, it's like, you're like, you know, some of you are like, oh man, there's no way we could be here all six weeks in a row. And I get it, life is busy, but I wanna challenge you to do everything you can to make it a priority and to be here. And, and here's why. Um, I already know all six of these messages, what I'm gonna say, they are the most, they are the six most important messages I think that I could ever deliver to you. Now, I'm not saying they're the best messages, right? So don't clap too quickly. But I am saying that they are the most important messages that you could ever hear. I don't want you to miss it. I do believe that this is a season that God has been preparing in the life of our church. Like I feel it in my bones. And I don't want you to miss this season of what God might do. Even if you don't care anything at all about our church, if you're here just kind of visiting and kind of peering in, I think there's an awakening that God wants to do in your life. And so I want you to be here all six weeks of this series. Bring the book back with you each week. And if you are a note taker, you're gonna have so much fun because there's all kinds of places to take notes. If you are not a note taker, I wanna challenge you to experience a conversion and become a note taker. And some of you are like, there's not a chance. Well, just draw pictures or something and, and anything that'll help you remember. Because here, here's why this is so important. I want you to come in here fully expecting God to say something to you. And when you fully expect God to say something to you, here's the amazing thing, he will. And I want you to, he, now, not every part of the message may be applicable to you, but there's gonna be something, some sort of nugget of truth, something that God wants to say uh, to just kind of stir you up and move you on. And I want you to be ready for it. And I want you to come ready to, to write that down. I like to say this, no pain, no gain. You will get out of this series what you invest into it. And uh, there is a QR code at the end of each section. Our team has put together some videos and some additional resources to help you in your study. Um, third is the group content. We really want everybody to experience a group. We believe that that's the way to make a big church small. We believe that's the way to get involved in a relationship and to grow. And I'm so encouraged by this, guys, because a thousand of you that were not previously in a group signed up to be in a six-week awakened group. A thousand of you. That's worth celebrating. That's incredible. I can't even imagine getting a thousand people to do anything. And that's incredible. And uh, so for some of you, you are not currently in a group. I want you to be in a group. You don't have to be in a group forever, just six weeks. And so we've got about a hundred spots left. If you are not in a group, you'd like to be in one, you can stop by the Awaken Hub on your way out and get signed up. We've only got about a hundred spots left though. So either you'll get into a group or you get on a waiting list. Uh, but I would love it to see that, that fully um, stocked up at, as 1,100 people in groups, all right? Um, lastly, is you'll find in the book, this commitment card. Now, I don't want you to do anything with this at all, except live with it for a while. Here's what I mean by this. I want you to put this in a prominent place where you're gonna see it every day on your nightstand, in your Bible, where you drink your coffee, any place where you do your best thinking. And I just want you to live with this and to use it as a tool. And I want you to pray this prayer. God, what does awakened generosity mean for me? Now, the reason why I'm phrasing it that way is because for many of you, you've already trusted God in this area of your life a long, long time ago. And you could stand and you could testify to God's faithfulness in this area. And what I mean by trusting God in this area is that you chose to see your time, your talent and your treasure, not as something that you own, but as something that you steward. It's something that you temporarily manage for his glory in his kingdom. And here's how God says he wants us to manage it. He goes, I want you to uh, trust me by bringing 10% of it back to me. I want you to save 10% of it for the future. Then I want you to live off and even enjoy uh, the rest of the 80%. That's just how I want you to handle it. And many of you, you jumped onto that. You begin to trust God in that area and you could testify to amazing things that he has done. However, if you were to be honest, you would say, yeah, you know, but that decision was 20 years ago and we've not done anything since. And you've just sort of like kind of flatlined in your area of trust in that, that department. My prayer for you is that you will say, God, what does awakened generosity look like for me in this new season? Others of you, you've never trusted God in this area of your life. It is part of the reason why money is the number one thing that stresses you out. You've never invited God into it. And the way that you invite God into it is through open-handed generosity. And so I want you to use this as a tool to see just, and Lindsay and I are using this as a tool in our own personal lives. On November the 12th, we'll come together as a, as a celebration of a church. We're calling it Commitment Sunday to see what God might do. Now, with all of that introductory, I just need to acknowledge this as your pastor because it is not lost on me that a, a crowd this size and the number of people that are watching online, chances are I'm talking to somebody right now and this is brushing up against some wounds because you had a bad church experience in which this was mishandled. And I just want to acknowledge that. And I'm so sorry that you've had that experience. I know that's real. 
I've actually been on the other side of that, not a pastor, experiencing and being the recipient of that. I know what that can be like. And I've been thinking very specifically about you, knowing that this series was coming. And I just want, whoever you are, I just want to say very specifically to you that I hate that that is your experience. And I'm so sorry that maybe somebody's lack of integrity or lack of tact caused you to have a bad experience and it turned you off uh, and sort of kind of closed you off to what God wants to say in this area of your life. And and I just want you to know that our team has spent hours and hours of prayer and we want to take this so seriously. We know what's at stake. And we want to um, handle this with the utmost integrity and humility as we handle God's resources and God's word during this season. But can I lovingly say this to you? Don't miss this. Don't let somebody's lack of integrity or lack of tact rob you from an experience of God's blessing in this area of your life. The reason why Jesus talked about treasure so much, which is the Bible's word for money, is because he knows there is an invisible fishing line wire connected from your treasure to your heart. And he wants your heart, not your treasure. But he knows that wherever your treasure goes, there your heart follows. And so uh, um, I want to just ask you to be sort of like open-handed. Come all six weeks, listen to all six messages before you come to any conclusions and just see if God might give you a fresh experience in this area of your life. Now, I want to pray, and uh, I want to pray for not only the awakened season, I also just want to pray acknowledging what just happened as we got up yesterday morning and turned on the news and saw the conflict in Israel. And so we want to lift up the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, and what's going on over there, and acknowledge God's sovereignty over this. So let's pray. Father, we come to you right now, and it is an awesome privilege to steward what it is that you've temporarily entrusted us so that we can um, expand eternity in the lives of people. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would move. I pray that you would speak. I prepared a message today, but I pray that I would get out of the way and that you would say what needs to be said and that we would listen, that we would be awakened to the movement of your Holy Spirit in this season of our lives. God, would you please do a work primarily in each one of us And then the secondary thing, because of that work that's been done, you do an awesome work through us. But we don't want to move too fast, past past that first primary goal. And so, Father, we just consecrate ourselves before you. We ask that you would speak. God, please wake us up. We want to be alert and awakened to the movement of your spirit. God, we recognize how urgent this is as we just get one more reminder of how broken our world is and An example of that would be the attacks in Israel that's just taken place over the last 48 hours. And so, God, we lift up those people, the people that have lost their lives, the people whose lives have been taken captive. And uh, we just ask that your hand of control would be all over that. We know that this did not take you by surprise. You are sovereign. You are in control. You've asked us to be be faithful and, um, uh, and to be expectant of what it is you desire to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. I don't know about you guys, but uh, the older I get, the more I enjoy early mornings. And I know this is the 11 crowd, 11 o'clock crowd. So you just threw up in your mouth a little bit. You're just like, you know, that ain't me. You know, I said that to the eight o'clock. They all, you know, lost their minds like cheering because those are my people. But man, I I love early mornings. And here's the thing. Like it didn't always used to be that way. Like I used to be like a wake up at the crack of noon kind of a guy. And, but something has, has changed, like the older that I've gotten, I've just really enjoyed getting up before the sun comes up and just the quietness of the house. And, and uh, you know, now here's the thing. Um, it's not easy for me to get up. It's never been easy for me to get up. But once my feet hit the floor, I get some coffee in my system, get a workout in. I am the most awake and alive that I will ever be all throughout the day. In fact, my most productive time of the day is in the morning. I just kind of lay it all out there. But then as the day goes on, and especially around like eight, nine o'clock at night kind of rolls around, I'm just like a, a pile of goo. And I'm just like ready to hit the sack. My wife makes fun of me because she says that I fall asleep so fast. She's like, you fall asleep before your head hits the pillow. And you're just like breathing heavy because I've just laid it all on the line during the day. Now, for some of you, you don't have that problem. For some of you, your most awake and alive time is about the time I'm going to bed at night. You know, you're not an early bird, you're a night owl. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, All of us have been wired up differently. The, The main thing is that we recognize at what point of the day is our most awake and alive time. And then we recognize that can be some of our most productive hours of the day. Now I say all that to say this, there is nothing worse than sort of being upright 
but your body's shutting down and you're falling asleep. Whether that's like you're on a long international flight and you're suffering from jet lag in a different time zone. My favorite story of this is a buddy of mine getting ready to go on a long international flight. He's sitting on the tarmac, plane hasn't taken off. He's like, I'm gonna get some sleep. And so he pops an Ambien and then they cancel the flight. And he's like, you know, you know, walking around the airport, you know, trying to stay awake, you know, trying to rebook his, his flight. Man, there's just nothing worse than that. And uh, what, what I uh, kind of want to just throw out to you today is that the only thing worse than that is to be spiritually sleepwalking. Meaning that you've had a, a conversion experience, you've given your life to Jesus, but you've sort of just plateaued spiritually. And you're not really doing anything bad, but you're not really doing anything good. Like, it's not that, um, you know, you're um, uh, not listening to God and not attending church and not, you know, reading the scriptures. It's just that you're not really fully awakened to what it is that he desires to do in you and through you. You're not maximizing the gifts and the opportunities that God has placed in front of you. In fact, um, if you were being really honest, you'd say, you know what, I'm kind of squandering them. I'm sort of like wasting them. Now, there is this um, narrative about the Christian life that has developed in the Western world over the last several decades that is not entirely wrong, but it's not entirely right either. And I think it's contributing to this. And it's this idea of like um, separating our lives into segments or dualism. So it's like spiritual life over here, personal life over here, church life over here, work life over here, you know, uh, my, my bank account over here, you know, my walk with God over here. And so it's this idea, we didn't get this from the New Testament, we got this in a different era in history, where, and some of this, this is going to sound familiar to some of you, especially that grew up in church, is that your idea of the Christian life is that you recognize that you're a sinner, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you acknowledge that he's Lord and Savior, you pray a sinner's prayer, uh, he, uh, uh, you know, you're baptized, and then he becomes your personal Lord and Savior. And so now you're saved, and so you just kind of live your life, and one day uh, when you die or Jesus comes back, he's going to zip us off to heaven Star Trek style. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Like that's what I grew up hearing. Now I'm not saying that's entirely wrong. I am saying it's not entirely right. A lot of those ideas we did not get out of the New Testament. So this, here, here's what uh, God is inviting us into. A radical transformation of who we are. Actually what it is, is a re-imaging of who God made you to be because sin de-images the image of God within you. Sin deconstructs the image of God within you. So when Jesus walked out of a grave, that wasn't a cool trick that God did that said, hey, you know, Jesus defeated death now so, so you can defeat death as well. No, when Jesus walked out of a grave, he was inaugurating the kingdom of God to earth. And he was now living out how he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we give our lives to Christ, this is not like an eternal life insurance card we tuck into our back pocket. Nobody's perfect. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to attend when I can, serve when I can, give when I can. And, you know, you know, eventually I've got a personal relationship. I'll go to heaven when I die. I don't really talk much about my faith, but that's okay. God knows where my heart is. No, actually, this is a revolutionary thing where Jesus has invited you to be part of his kingdom coming, meaning that we are agents of his kingdom in this watching world. God has invited us to be a part of a new thing which requires an awakened church and an awakened people. This is what Paul's driving at in the passage in Ephesians that I referenced in the video. And I actually wanna pick up in verse 14. And this is what he says. He says, awake, that's where we got the name of this vision for the next two to five years that we're gonna be in. Awaken comes directly out of verse 14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The, the most common analogy that the scriptures use to our personal relationship with Jesus is a walk. And so he says, be careful how you walk. Like don't be unwise, but be, we, be wise. Why should we? Well, he tells us in the very next part of this sentence, making the best use of the time. That's convicting in and of itself. How many of you have um, wasted any time today? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, how many of you are just like, you find yourself just mindlessly pulling out your phone, 
popping open Instagram and you're scrolling and 20 minutes go by. And you're like, what in the world have I just been doing the last 20, watching cat videos? What am I doing? This is the idea of are you making, it's not, it's not necessarily bad or wrong, not necessarily the best use of time. And he goes, here's why, because the days are evil. I'm gonna talk about that here in just a minute. What does he mean by the days are evil? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand that that implies that we are alert and awake to what it is that God wants to say. So I wanna point out a couple of things in this passage. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing to write down or if you're drawing pictures. To be awakened, you gotta first realize you're asleep. I know some of you are like, did you study for that all week? <laughs> yes, I did. I did. Aren't you impressed with that nugget of wisdom? But actually, it's more profound and it's actually true. Like this idea of, uh, here's the thing. I very rarely ever remember the precise moment that I fell asleep. And oftentimes, I don't even know I'm asleep until I wake up. And all, that, the same thing is true spiritually. And uh, have you ever just kind of lured yourself to sleep? Maybe you were uh, on a public bus sometime. You're starting to drift off. Maybe you're watching a movie, drifting off. Maybe you're listening to somebody talk, like I'm talking right now. You're drifting off. Some of you are asleep right now. Ah! I just, I, just, I, just, I just caused you to realize you were drifting off, right? And you had to, you had to have somebody kind of nudge you or you woke up and realized, man, I've been asleep. I didn't realize it. And the same thing is true spiritually. And that's what Jesus is saying in Revelation 3 to the church at Sardis. He's saying you have the reputation for being alive. That's another word for saying you have the reputation for being awake, but you're dead. That's another word for asleep. And so Jesus is not shaming them. Jesus isn't condemning them. He's admonishing them which as we learn is the most loving thing that you can do. The most loving thing that can be done is for somebody to gently nudge you awake when you've fallen asleep to the voice of God. So can I ask you this question today? And this is only for you to answer for yourself. Are you sleepwalking spiritually? And only you can answer that question. Have you sort of gone on autopilot when it comes to God? And for many of us, uh, the pandemic, the, all the challenges that came out of 2020 and 2021, it, it lured us to sleep. Uh, another word for that is numbing. We just became numb. We became addicted. We became riddled with fear and anxiety. Some of us, it was anger. And so are you just sleepwalking? Is there any area of your life right now? And you know you need to deal with it, but you haven't really dealt with it. There's that relationship and you, it needs the best of your energy. Your marriage is hanging on by a thread and it, your spouse needs you to invest. But you know that you've just been sort of coasting. Maybe you need to take better care of yourself physically, but you've just been sort of putting that off. Maybe you, you know you need to get your finances in order, but Amazon Prime keeps messing that up. <laughs> is there any area of your life where you've just sort of fallen asleep and you're coasting. And what I want you to know is that there, this isn't sort of a passive thing. There is a very active enemy advancing against you. And a sleepless, a sleepful person is a defenseless person. You just can't defend yourself when you're asleep. So here's what Jesus says about our enemy in John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan's intentions for you and those you love. And I just want you to know that his tactics are refined and he has centuries of experience and you and I are no match for him. We cannot face off with him by ourselves. And so this is where like sleepy Christians, not a threat to him. Uh, Corey Ten Boom said it this way. If Satan can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. And I would add to that distracted, distant, fearful, anxious, bitter, selfish, and numb. If he can't get you to deny God, he'll just lure you to sleep with all of those other things. Here, here's a convicting question. Are you a threat to Satan? And if you're not a threat to Satan, he'll just let you sleep. He's like, oh man, they're, they're no big deal. They are not a threat to my kingdom. Just let them go to church when they can. Let them serve when they can. Let them read their Bible when they can. They're a sleepy Christian. They are not a threat. And if you're a threat, you get his attention. And what does he do? He advances against you. This answers at least part of the question why bad things happen to good people. God gets the blame, but we need to recognize that for some, they're a threat to Satan in this realm. 
And so the days are evil. What's that mean? That means that fallen things happen to redeemed and unredeemed people. And if you're a threat to Satan, then he advances, he throws everything that he has against you. And so oftentimes, and I would never wish bad circumstances on any of you, but some of that, some of that is uh, evidence that you've been awakened to the Holy Spirit and you're a threat to his enemy. And so the, that's the question is, uh, that, that is facing uh, us today. And it's the question that I want you to wrestle with. Here's another way of phrasing it. Are you coasting? Spiritually. In uh, 2021, I was coasting. I'm confessing that to you. And a lot of that was because of just, you know, just the impossible challenges of 2020. You know, you know, uh, in this, it was hard for everybody. And some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it's like, uh, no matter what decision I made, it always seemed that somebody was mad at me. And man, I'm a people pleaser and I'm an achiever. And so I hated that, you know, and if I said something, somebody get upset. If I didn't say something, somebody get upset. And I got to this place where I'm like running on fumes and I'm just like wanting to wave the white flag. And uh, I was, I, I flirted with the idea of just quitting. It was either quit or coast. And uh, I went on a three month sabbatical in the summer of 2021. And uh, about six weeks into that sabbatical, I'm uh, traveling with my family. We're at an Airbnb out of town and I get up early in the morning and I went, I got a workout in and then I'm on my way to a coffee shop to get some pastries and some coffee to bring back to my family. And um, I'm listening to a leadership podcast and this podcast, they're interviewing a Christian leader. It's been in ministry for decades. They're about 10 years older than me. And they were talking about a time of burnout in their life. And they said when they were just running on fumes, wanting to burn out, uh, they were watching a documentary with their spouse on BUDS training for the Navy SEALs in San Diego. And immediately I kind of you know, perked up, I'm listening to this. And, and they said, you know, as they're watching this, uh, several of the guys that went through BUDS said that your mind will give out before your, your body. And so the, the goal is just to stay in it. But they said, when you're freezing cold, swimming in freezing cold water, it's dark outside, you're carrying a log, you're running in sand, you're exhausted, you're sleep deprived. They said the first step before ringing the bell and tapping out of buds is to coast. And nobody really knows that you're not giving it your all. You're just kind of, you're ratcheting it back. But that's the first step towards going and then ringing the bell. And this Christian leader, as they're on this podcast, they said, they said, I was 58 years old at the time. I'd already served God for three or four decades. We'd built the ministry up, lots and lots and lots of momentum behind this ministry. And they said, you know what? I'm just a handful of years away from retirement and I could just coast and likely no one would ever know. And then they said, but Jesus would know. And one day I would stand before him and give an account to that. And guys, can I tell you that those words wrecked me and I had to pull the car over and I was like, God, I want to give up so bad. And I know, you know, giving up would be too disruptive. So I've thought about coasting. You know, it's like I look around. I'm like, you know what? We're big enough. This is fine. I'm sure people will still get saved. I'll just show up and preach three points in a poem. Everybody will think everything's fine. Right? And I just thought, I, what, but God, you know, can I coast another 15 or 20 years? And maybe nobody would ever know. But I actually don't think that's true. I think people would know. But most importantly, Jesus would know. Now that's my story. What's yours? And is there any area of your life right now you're just coasting? And it's maybe led you into some pretty dark places. Maybe there's an area of your life right now where you're coasting. Nobody knows, not even your spouse. You know, and Jesus knows. And can I just very lovingly say that you're in dangerous territory of not only tapping out and maybe even potentially doing something very foolish because that's another meaning of the days are evil is that every single one of us are just one decision away from stupid and we make our poorest decisions when we're burned out that's how affairs happen that's how misconduct happen that's how unethical things happen we never think we would ever do that but we're running on fumes and we burn out Jesus says we've got an enemy who wants to steal from you kill you destroy you especially if you're awake to the voice of the Holy Spirit and you're a threat to him but here's Jesus' intentions for you. It's the rest of verse 10. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what God wants. If Jesus is God, and he is, 
and you ever want to know what's God's purpose and plan for my life, that's it. Is that he wants you to have life and he wants you to have it abundantly. Now, that's not TV preacher health and wealth stuff. This is the idea. This is what Jesus has said. This is the idea of living like an abundant life, which goes beyond your bank account. This is the idea that I'm maximizing every ounce of this temporary life that I have here on earth. I'm not leaving anything back. I'm putting it all on the table, pushing all the chips in. God, everything that I have, all my time, my talent, my treasure, it is all yours. I'm going to open up my hands. I'm going to entrust you with this and watch what God might do. And this is, this is an urgent message right now because here's what's happening in our world is that our world, there, there's this crossroads and we're going to miss it as a church if we don't maximize it. Is that right now, the people around the world are recognizing that everything that the secular script promised them, abundance and fulfillment, isn't panning out. So like the sexual revolution, financial independence, all the promises of science and technology, A lot of those things can be really, really good things, but it's not producing the fulfillment and abundance that we thought. And so the world is freaking out. They're looking right now. We just look around and we see, you know, the revival that took place at Asbury earlier this year. We see that when a football player had a cardiac arrest on the football field, that there was somebody on ESPN that taught us how to pray. And he actually said, I could get fired for doing this, but I'm going to teach you how to pray. And people were open to it. And we see these little awakenings, these little glimpses of what's happening around the world and like massive spontaneous baptisms on college campuses. Because I think that the world is looking around going, okay, this isn't giving us what we thought. We're looking for something more. And if the world looks at the church and the church is asleep or they just see a bunch of legalistic religious people, we'll miss it. And what we have to do is we have to be awakened to the voice of God to recognize that now is the time for us to say individually, God, everything I have is yours. And I'm just going to live open-handedly. I'm just going to live in light of eternity because I recognize that you're the giver of life and you want to work through me to actually bring your kingdom coming to the world. God's plan of redemption is urgent and now is the time. And there is this little book that I I would love for you to get if you don't already have it. Uh, It's written by a guy named Randy Alcorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. Tiny little book. You could read it multiple times in a week. And it would be a great thing to have supplemental to this series. And in it, Alcorn says this. He goes, you might think of life, you're 80 to 90 years on this planet, plus or minus. Uh, You might think of life like this. Our life on earth is represented by a dot because it goes by so fast. It's such a short thing. You're born... And then you grow up and you think life is so long. And the more you age, the faster you realize that it's going by and it's just a little dot. Now, I love what he does here because he gives us this visual that our life, our 80 to 90 years plus, is represented by a dot. And when you're young, that dot is all consuming. You're like, man, I've got tons and tons of life left. You know, when I turn 30 years old, I'll be so old and gray. You know, and then you hit 30 and you're like, realize, I mean, I've got so much life left. I'm still so young. I'm still trying to figure this out. I love it when I talk to 80 or 90 year old people. They're like, man, you know, I'm still learning. God's got me on this journey. And, but, but time goes by so fast. It's just a dot. Now, here's the thing. Randy Alcorn talks about in light of eternity. So the line coming after the dot, because you're an eternal being, that line represents all of eternity. So 80 to 90 years, it seems so consuming. It's just a little dot in, in, in light of eternity. Now, here's, here's what I'm driving at. You steward your time, your talent, and your treasure, not just for the dot, but for the line. And you recognize, I'm going to live in light of eternity. Now, now, this fundamentally changes everything. So instead of just enjoying the resources, saving the resources for the future. You know, some of us, you know, we're, we're kind of living, you know, for the age of like 60, 65, 70. It's like when we can retire and be financially independent and not really have any responsibilities and play golf and spend time with the grandkids. And please do not misunderstand me. There is nothing wrong with retiring early. There is nothing wrong with a good round of golf. And there is nothing wrong with having grandkids. Can I get a good amen to that? For those of you, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm nothing wrong with any of those things. Just don't live for them. He goes, man, you live for the line, not the dot. You recognize that you're, you are here to make an eternal difference. And what I want to say to our church is that God has uniquely positioned and prepared us as a church for this moment in time. Don't miss it. 
There's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why you exist in this generation. That was a turning point in the pandemic for me. I was on a Zoom call. There was a pastor that looked out at the rest of us. We gave him the final word and he said, hey guys, I know these are some dark days. These are some challenging crisis, but you know what? God has ordained it that you would be leading his church in 2020. Not uh, Charles Spurgeon, not Elizabeth Elliot, not John Wesley, you. And I would say the same thing to you. These are scary days. We see what happened in Israel. We see earthquakes going on. We see the war in Ukraine. We see the economy. And we're just like, oh man, this is like so fearful. You know what? Um, God has chosen and ordained that you would be his representative in this time. And so we live by the power of his spirit. And we lean into that. So let me, let me close with this. Luke chapter 16, verse nine. Jesus says something that when you read it at first, you kind of scratch your head and go, what did Jesus just say? And I think Jesus loved doing that. But here's what he said. He goes, I tell you, use worldly wealth, all the wealth you acquire in the dot, to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, because eventually it will, it'll go to somebody else, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's a kind of a little bit of a confusing verse. You're like, Jesus, are you telling us to use worldly wealth to bribe people? No, that's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying, is that he's saying, I want you to use your worldly wealth, at least a certain segment of it, I want you to use it to change somebody's eternal future. And there will come a day in heaven where somebody will walk up to you and say, it was your generosity that paved the way for me to meet Jesus. Thank you. Um, many of you know the story of how we got the downtown campus. I don't have time to unpack the full story, but the, the very short version is that we felt like God was calling us to start a campus downtown in the heart of our city. And that we felt like we needed to have land to do that, to say to the city that we're here to stay. And there was a building, it was a former Jehovah's Witness Hall. They were selling it for $2.8 million, way too much money for us to go into debt on. Uh, the elders very wisely said no. And man, I was heartbroken because I really wanted to, us to be downtown. And so um, honored that decision though. And we're like, okay, we're not gonna move on it. So we started our Carmel campus. But every time I would take my wife on a date downtown, I would take a detour and I would drive past that building on Delaware. And I would slow down and I would just look at that building and I would hold my hand out and I would say, God, would you please give us that building? And my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> God, just give us the building, you know? And so two years go by, long story short, there was a family in our church that came to me and they uh, said, you know, we really want to help move the needle around here. And uh, what can we do? What can we contribute to? And I said, what do you have in mind? And they said, what do you have? And I was like, well. <laughs> and so we went down to that building. It was still for sale. And uh, the real estate agent uh, came out to us. I'm with the, the, the gentleman in the parking lot. And he said, hey, two things, Aaron. He goes, number one, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't like you <laughs> because... You've, you've been here looking through this several times. They don't think you're serious. And I was like, well, I don't like them, you know? Uh, and so, but uh, anyway, uh, so uh, they, said, they said that, they go, your chances aren't good. Secondly, somebody just put a letter of intent on the building and my heart dropped out. I'm like, oh man, you gotta be kidding me. Two years of praying and this is gonna happen. So uh, we walk through the building, we look at it, we get done, agent walks away. I look at the man, we're in the parking lot, beautiful sunny day, downtown. And he goes, uh, he goes, Aaron, I love everything about this building. We need to make this happen. And I go, I know we do, but you heard what he said. And he goes, I heard what he said. Um, Aaron, um, we'll offer a 2.825 million cash. And if you get into a bidding war with someone, we authorize you to go up to 3.3 million. And he goes, tell me how it goes. Pat me on the shoulder, hopped in his Porsche, drove off, right? <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, well, so ended up, we, we made that offer. They ended up accepting it. Guys, that's how we got the downtown campus. Now, it, God gave it to us. Now, let me, tell, let me say this. We have had... Since that time, nearly 300,000 like adult foot traffic through that building, over 500 baptisms, thousands of people come to that campus, 1,200 students have had student night at that campus. I mean, that is a piece of real estate where God is changing lives and it was because of the generosity of that family. Now, let me just, let me just very quickly ask you right now across all of our campuses, if you, if you met Jesus in our church, just slip, simply slip up your hand. If you gave your life to Christ in our church, just slip up your hand. There we go. Uh, how many of you got reacquainted or reintroduced to Jesus after walking away through our church? Just slip up your hand. 
How many of you have had a spiritually significant moment, like a life-altering moment through the ministry of our church? Just slip up your hand. There are hands that have gone up in every single service across all of our campuses, and that is amazing. And I simply want to say to you, you are the recipient of somebody else's generosity because somebody chose to live for the lion and not just the dot. Now, I want to wrap up with this. Here is the danger of me sharing with you the story of how we got the downtown campus. And it's something I wrestle with every time I tell the story is that I think those numbers are so astronomical and so big that you let yourself off the hook. And you go, well, Aaron, if I ever had that much money, I'd buy the church a building too. (laughs) You said he drove off in a Porsche. I think they're doing just fine. I don't even think they missed it. And here's the thing. If you think that, and I would totally understand why you would think that, because I think I would think that, you'd be missing the point. See, it's not, see, we have a tendency to compare others' external purchases from a distance with our internal bank account, and we say, that's not fair, and we let ourselves off the hook. And we say, you know what? Uh, I think that they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth or they're a trust fund baby. You know, that's just unfair that they've got that. When in reality, you have no idea how they came into those resources. You have no idea the journey that they've been on. And I know a lot of people that are relatively well off with worldly wealth. And the part of the reason why is because they trusted God with little and he entrusted them with more over the decades and they are faithful with it. 2 Corinthians 9, which is a passage we're gonna unpack in this series later, says simply this, you will be enriched to be generous on every occasion. You know what that means? Through every season of life. And for many of us, what we do is we say, well, one day when I sell the business, one day when I retire, one day when the kids graduate from college and we finally have enough, then we'll be generous with what, we've, with what we've reaped. But here's the principle of sowing and reaping that you miss. You've got to sow something to reap something. If I were to walk out to a farmer and he's staring at a field and I'm just like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm just waiting for my harvest. I'm like, well, what'd you plant? And he said, nothing. We're like, well, that's crazy. But we do that all the time when it comes to resources for the kingdom. Is we, we would say, well, what have, you, what have you sown? And so I just want you to know, God is asking you, whatever season of life that you're in, to take a step of faith in this area to have open-handed generosity. Now in the next several weeks together, we're gonna come together, gonna challenge some of your assumptions. These are some of the most important messages that I could preach to you to awaken us to what God desires to do in and through us, because now is the time. Let me pray. Father, we come to you right now, and we're so grateful for who you are, what you've done, and the fact that you've invited us into this special season of time that this is, these are the days that you've ordained us to live. And so God, we wanna be fully awakened to how you wanna move in and through us as a church. And one day when we look back five, 10, 15, 20 years from now, we would see that some of the best work, transformational work that you did in the life of our church came in these years and we were a part of it. God, thank you for what you've done on our behalf. May we never forget it. May it never end with us. We don't wanna just live for the dot. We wanna live for the line. We ask this in Jesus' name.